Well, good morning. It's beautiful here. I'm just halfway my walk. I have a Roman Catholic church that I cut through uh, just up the street from me. It's very quiet. And it's funny because I also have a United Church around the corner from me. And so I can compare how busy they are. And I thought I might talk about something that I've been looking into. Question as to why are there so many people of one particular uh, religion that are uh, very active in the Buddhist community? Yeah, and I just tested. Uh, you might hear some traffic, but uh, that roar you hear is actually the, the falls, the Niagara Falls. So what I've been pondering, well, obviously the, the nature of, of phenomenology of self, which I just told you yesterday, is at the heart of all religions, it seems, right? Uh, Swami Vivekananda said that all religions are true, and that is absolutely correct if you think that uh, if it's uh, in in the service of or in the goal of, of being better than your previous self, of, of uh, you know, community, ecclesia in Greek, uh, sangha in Sanskrit. But I've been wondering, it was a weird little thing that uh, just came across, somebody actually mentioned it as a question and I didn't have an answer for it. Uh, they asked, why were there so many um, Jews or, or ex-Jews um, as Buddhists, uh, particularly Zen, that's where the question came from. Like, why are so many of these Zen Roshis Jews or ex-Jews? I mean, uh, you know, you can't know um, because Buddhism does not make you uh, renounce your your, uh, your previous religion. And, uh, I mean, I had thoughts as to what was going on. Uh, but lo and behold, so I've went and uh, gone back to Kabbalah. I haven't really looked into Kabbalah in a long time. And so I'm, I'm re-listening to uh, Moisha uh, Medmonid... Oh, gee, I can't even remember. Well, hold on here. Maimonides. Maimonides. I mean, I just did one of the great courses on Audible about him and, and early Jewish uh, thinkers. And uh, he's got a dozen different names. It could be Moshe, it could be Moses, uh, you know, you name it. He, he wrote in multiple languages to boot. <clears throat> but if you study Moshe, and there's a Jewish saying that there has never been anyone uh, like Moses to Moses or something like that, this, this discussion of, of Moses... Uh, and the burning bush, and then this particular Moisha, this Moses, who was heavily influenced by the Greeks, which is beautiful, right? So he was able to understand the perspectives, right? A Neoplatonic perspective on the world and, and, and build upon that, right? As Harold Bloom says, all, all creative works, all ideas, all, all new beings are a creation of what came before, right? So long story short, the tantric Buddhism, this is why there's more in, in tantra, because, and follow me on this, I'm going to risk sounding heretical, but I don't mean to. Um, I think there's a, there's a fascination with the esoteric, 
I mean, you can see that on on social media, how many Jews are uh, big fans of Kabbalah and and, uh, and esoterica, right? So these are uh, regular Jews, uh, but have an interest in uh, the esoteric side of uh, Judaism. I've seen that recently because I've asked this question. Remember, I did a podcast a while back that found it weird. This was this extreme environmentalist uh, who ended up becoming uh, uh, an Orthodox Christian. It was weird, and I wondered why they were moving towards Orthodoxy. And I think the reason is because, and uh, I think it's pretty much a universal opinion amongst some of these existential writers that I'm a fan of, that we're not looking to tear down. In fact, someone who I think is a fairly uh, competent scholar uh, in uh, existentialism and, and Nietzsche, he, uh, I think, maybe misunderstood a little bit because he, he seems to have a bias. And he called uh, Nietzsche a devout uh, atheist, or at least an anti-Christian. And I think he's misunderstood. I don't think he's anti-Christian. He did make that statement that there was only one Christ. This was an argument that if you don't believe in, I believe, an argument of the, if you don't believe in the deification of Christ, then you're not a Christian. I mean, leaving all these people out, it's the same thing that I think early Christians were feeling because they couldn't be Jews. They were Gentiles, and they, they felt excluded. But I think this affect is showing the theory that ritual is all we need, right? With devotion, commitment, and confidence in the ritual, obviously. But I've seen this in a Pure Land school where they'll walk around and they'll chant the compassion uh, uh, drani. Uh, but most of them don't know what the words say because I came into them knowing the Sanskrit, uh, learning the Chinese, but that was a waste of time because they don't pronounce it the same as you would in conversation and they don't even know what it means. And that is part of... Wow, that's just ridiculous, am I right? That's part of the reason why you, you go through these rituals. Unlike someone driving around... Uh, who is so shallow that they want to make as much noise as possible. Look at me, look at me. Instead of being firm in who they are, right, know thyself, their ego has to disturb everyone around them, right? But this affect, ritual, I've seen it in the Japanese uh, Shingon school where they, they absolutely do not pronounce the uh, the Durrani in a uh, intelligible manner. It's purposely uh, chanted in, a, in an obscure. And then I was I've even seen that in some schools uh, of Sanskrit. Right? They they might not uh, chant it in the regular way. But this is why I was a little confused because for the most part we chant uh, the Sanskrit in an intelligible way, but. I mean, the meanings are simple and clear. It is, I've said this before, it's the koan practice, it's the hoito practice, and Shaivism It's the same practice as the kasina practice. We're meant to see through at any moment. Um, Judaism is exactly the same thing. Right? Uh, Kabbalah is exactly this. They talk about uh, uh, 
uh, nothingness. Uh, when you look at uh, their, their, their chart, right, it's compassion and it's community and it's wisdom. It's no different from the Greeks, it's no different from uh, the uh, Sanatana Dharma, it's no different from Buddhism. And so, follow me on this, I think people have, and there was just a video put out about how many of these religions, particularly in the West, but I don't think it's strictly the West, turning their backs on their actual uh, tenets and their traditions, thereby robbing uh, the religion of sufficiency, right? So people involved aren't getting what they need out of it. But the actual irony is what they really need, arguably, is just to believe. Right? This is where Sartre was right to a certain degree, but took it way too far. Right? Martin Buber is closer, which is a great example. This is a religious Jew, but an existentialist as well, who I think understood the, the importance of ritual. But if you look at an, an Orthodox Jew or even um, a Hasidic Jew, you'll see that they have to almost become like a monk or a, a nun, and they're renouncing the world. And you've heard me talk about this, that I think that's a mistake in, in Buddhism, to become a, a monastic, an aesthetic in Christianity. Uh, I don't think that's what we're meant to do. That Surely, if you're having severe trouble uh, overcoming some of these challenges and you need to step away from the world, I understand that. But for that to be our goal, I think, is the mistake because almost all of these teachers have said the real goal is to be able to carry this, this mindfulness of self and reality and, and, and what we're here for and the reasons, right? Our raison d'etre, the reason why, our meaning right? Arguably, meaning is arbitrary. It's personal. It's perspectival. But it means it has to be true for you. Truth is an agreement, but you have to agree. I've said this over and over again. There's so many of these Western uh, movements, these dialectics. Uh, I won't call them logos or ethos because they're hollow. They're empty said this before about veganism. Uh, I've seen this harm people because, I mean, they say that they're in it to save lives, save animal lives, but I've seen the same people argue for uh, abortion, for convenience, right? I, I'm not arguing at all that there should be, uh, should be access for all sorts of people, but when you look at the numbers, when... 90 plus percent of abortions are for convenience, not because of all the other reasons, health reasons, age, uh, health, uh, uh, risks, uh, you name it. Any, any argument they make besides convenience, because someone, uh, you know, doesn't feel like they could, could have one right now or they made a mistake uh, with, with contraception, not with a health consequence or a even a party mistake. I would not even deny someone uh, who was involved in a pseudo-consensual uh, event or, or what have you. But the problem is, it's 90% still. Right? The lowest number I found was 92%.
right? Oh my God, this is so political. It's terrible. Well, it's no different than religion, right? We've done the same thing. We're arguing that because, as Nietzsche said, we don't believe in these religions, we 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 practice. Well, we're not getting the benefit, and worse, arguably, I was talking to the wife. So many of these uh, lessons talk about we need to be more positive. We need to have more compassion. In, in Buddhism, it's called the Brahma Viharas, right? Loving kindness. It's in the Kabbalah as well. Loving kindness, um, compassion. And they help offset the evils in this world, right? Aversion, attachment, envy, hate. But the problem is, if you don't nurture, it allows the opposite to grow. Right? The example I give is, there's a common movement about uh, being positive. There's a PhD doctor, his name eludes me, but he wrote a book called Hardwiring Happiness, and he talks about our negativity bias. Uh, Advaita Vedanta talks about the same thing. Talk about how we have a negativity bias, right? So uh, we'll see a, a stick in the road, and uh, we'll see it as a snake for safety reasons, because if we're wrong about it being a snake, oof, no problem. But if we uh, thought it was a stick and it ended up being a snake, well, that could be a problem, right? But what they tend to fail to mention is if we don't pay attention to being positive and, and arguably in a very uh, religious way, this is why we have the Hail Mary, uh, uh, the Om Mani Padme Om, all of these mantras, these uh, dhananis, these um, uh, prayers, uh, meditations, contemplations, whatever you want to call them, they're all designed for us to understand that we don't just offset negativity by being positive, but if we're not actively positive as much of the day as we can be, naturally the negativity will rise. Right, And so that's what I'm seeing happening here. When you're a Jew and you want to be a little more devout than your average Jew, but you're, you're not able to commit to a complete and other lifestyle, lifestyle shift, what do you do? Well, you are lucky because you find something called uh, Tantric Buddhism that provides you with the exact same rituals, the exact same lessons, the exact same stories, and in many cases, the exact same words of wisdom and compassion and care and insight. Right? You just change the word God for Tathagata Garba, your Buddha nature, right? which is goodness, pure goodness in the energy. To become a Bodhisattva, to become a transpersonal being. And all it takes is the belief in the transpersonal. And, and the reason why I use an example as extreme as, as the previous is because it's the same as with religion. This is going to upset everybody because the truth is you don't have to believe in the gods. You don't have to believe in the gods to get the benefits. Look at the Greeks. Right? Many of them were, you know, you could say religious, but I mean, they went through the motions. But with devotion and confidence and commitment. So that insults your, your average believer because they believe that it's God that provides them with this 
Well, the peace, shanti, um, shalom, shalom, salam. Bliss, uh, Ananda in Sanskrit. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's a P word in, in Christianity, um, I believe. Uh, well, this connection to God, they say, is the reason why uh, we get faith and we get benefit from this practice. But if it's just the rituals done with confidence, knowing that we just happen to have this weird affect that goes back to our primitive days, that if we just have to show the due reverence, be it to a sun god, or a sky daddy, or a chariots of fire, in, you know, it's a reference to Kabbalah in a movie, I'm just kidding. But when we realize that what denatures us is not admitting the truth. So, I mean, it insults a, an atheist as well. Because it admits that there doesn't have to be a God for there to be something transpersonal about our species. Right? If you're a transhumanist, you don't want to hear this, that what makes us human is more than the empirical. Right? The scientism that is forgotten, that science goes back to the Latin word sire, which is to understand. That's why I love the German, Wissenschaft. That's what actually made me understand how we really misunderstand that word. I, I, I've mentioned equanimity, I've mentioned um, vicissitudes, I've mentioned many English words that aren't properly understood or translated, but it wasn't until I learned uh, what science in another language was that I understood the, we just don't seem to get this, right? So be it religion or abortion, the problem isn't black or white, full access or no access, belief or disbelief. The problem is, is whether you're on one side or the other, you're not fully in the right. You're not, you're not embracing compassion. You're, you're filling your heart with hate. And when you do that, you leave no room for anything else. Uh, and most importantly, you don't leave room for, for reason or logic. So you can't even begin to, to think about the question of morality. Right? What is moral? What is right? What is just? If you don't believe that God provides that certainty you say you believe that man can define that certainty but you know very well over the Memorial Day weekend 50 some people were shot in one city in America that problem isn't the guns the problem happens to be a lack of hope an opportunity. It's, it's this three-body problem. The fact that we have one side who's arguing the problem is guns and the other side arguing the problem is whatever, but the real problem is no one getting together and saying, oh, okay, I get it. So 
there are people who don't support what we support, but rather than finding a happy medium, um, arguably this goes back to a beautiful mind. The reason why, and this is economics, this is why I'm familiar with it, but <coughs> I apologize. Uh, the reason why the, the gentleman uh, became famous from the movie uh, Beautiful Mind was because he, he understood uh, that our understanding of the consumer was way off. Uh, the understanding of psychology was way off. And so he said that, no, wait a minute here, you can't both go in. I've talked about this before. You can't both go into arbitration. You can't both go into mediation and expect to, to pull one over on the other guy. Right? Uh, as I've said before, the only way to really find a solution is that to have both parties go away having uh, provided uh, concessions. So both individuals have to go into these knowing that they're not absolutely right. This is the Tetralemma, it's the Chattiscoti. It's the lessons that Charles Sanders Pierce was trying to explain. Logic, first rule is doubt. Right? So the only dangerous position to hold, as Nietzsche said, is convictions. Worse than lies. Because you're unable to understand that you may not be right. And almost certainly you're not wholly, completely right. But that's stupid. It really is. So you're either so activated because you're so passionate or so upset or, or so uh, zealous about your position that um, you are stupefied. You are stunned to the point where you can't bring your logic or reason to bear. Or you're willfully ignorant stubborn, unwilling to listen or understand or even feel to feel. As I said, you fill your heart with hate. There's no room for, for anything else. And I mean, that, that's the one lesson that I could share. I mean, I, I lived uh, a life of, of seeing some of the most horrible tragedies, uh, but certainly not Oh, I guess that's wrong. Certainly to some people they could see it as the most horrible of tragedies. Uh, I had to come to terms with certain truths that for some reason a lot of us believe. I've talked about this. Uh, it's in a lot of the trauma, developmental trauma, childhood trauma. Um, I used to believe in the inherent goodness of, of humanity. And so obviously I believe that parents uh, should be devoted to their children. At all costs, right? The whole idea that, you know, a, a mama bear will stand uh, stand in front of a, well, almost anything to protect her cubs. But then when you see the opposite to be true, that actually many parents will abuse their children. I mean, I, I mentioned, so sad, a friend whose first drug dealer was one of his parents. Or people uh, who of parents that used their children as a shield against an abusive alcoholic or uh, you name it, uh, sexual abusers, uh, 
it's a shock to realize that at one time they thought uh, it was beneficial. And fast forward to today, we still don't admit how rampant this is. I mean, here in Canada, we're dealing with that exact thing that we likely have a politician who is, um, uh, what would you call him? Arguably, he should be listed as a, a sexual predator uh, because it looks like he has engaged in more than one instance of abusing his authority, even if it wasn't actual uh, molestation or, or any of the tor terrible words. But what shocked me is people in these positions will know this truth and ignore it. Same as it's an open secret that the percent of people that that have possibly been sexually abused in their life might be twice as high as we uh, like to admit. And that broke my heart to find this out, that doctors, clinicians who are training future clinicians are not at least telling the, their students this truth, that these are the numbers we operate on, but they could be twice as high because we may not know, at least for now, how common something like this is. So the same damage happens when a doctor goes around, and I'll just throw a couple numbers out, say 20% says that 20% of the population could have been sexually abused at some point in their life. But they know that it could be as high as 40%. But if they don't admit that, then they're going to miss a lot. And what I mean by that is I've come to realize that while over the last few years, not only am I no longer rare, uh, there's a lot of people with chronic illness, but I think I've, I've come to realize that we're lying to ourselves about the number of people with learning disabilities, with developmental challenges, uh, dyslexia, or whatever you want to name it. These people think that maybe 10, 15, 20% of the population might have learning disabilities. And, and that's saying that, what, over 80% of the population are typical in the way they learn. It's, to me, just a joke. But I argue the number of dyslexics in our broader population, because our prime minister up here uh, went through essentially the same thing that I did. When he was in school, he was told he's dyslexic, so they didn't try to teach him how to uh, do maths or uh, anything, actually, it seems, that uh, would challenge his, his disability. So he went into drama. Uh, he went into, uh, well, that's it. He went into drama and, and supposedly taught some French, but he grew up in Quebec. So as I said, there's so few people in Canada that can speak uh, English and French that, you know, arguably, I think I mentioned that on one of my other podcast that I actually had a French teacher in high school that spoke less French than I did. And I've said it before, my French is awful. Better than most, but it's awful. Right? So, I think that's a great example of, sure, we may not be able to know right now whether there is more than 20% of the population, but if you actually look at how many people, the example I give is, I uh, recently uh, delved into the booktube because, uh, like I said, about six months or so ago, I gave up all um, 
uh, natural even pain relief, all analgesics, all pain relieving type uh, uh, supplements because I can't rely on these things. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be made illegal pretty soon, try to force everybody on opiates. And I have chronic pain, so opiates just don't work. So I'm going to have to learn how to just live with it. So I said, hey, mantras, why not listening to audiobooks? Right? So I listen to audiobooks all the time uh, and focus on them. And in fact, what I'm really having a hard time, I imagine the words being written on a, a whiteboard or a, a chalkboard. Right? So. I'm almost completely uh, tying up my mind so there ain't room for uh, the 80% that is perception in pain. Never mind uh, feeling hopeless. And that's just natural. It's not, it's not specific to me. It just happens. I mean, after 10 plus years of being poked and prodded and only feeling worse because of what they put you through, uh, trying to solve chronic illness that tends to cause uh, post-traumatic stress. So obviously becoming hopeless is a part of that. Anxiety, depression, hopelessness. But the real problem here isn't the not knowing how many in the population are disabled or how many uh, people uh, believe or don't believe. The problem is people in the middle that aren't thinking about this. I think we could solve the, the, the problem when it comes to uh, almost all of these uh, people who are sexually abused, uh, people who are using abortion as contraception or convenience, which is causing just this incredible uh, uh, disconnect and separation in uh, the broader society. I think all of it can be solved if we actually have people to stop and actually admit and say, oh yeah, well, yes, I'm actually taking a life because of convenience. Right? And if they meant that, hopefully the next time it wouldn't happen again. Same as sexually uh, abused, if doctors were to admit and broader society were to admit that it might be as many as 40 or 50 percent of the population that have been um, interfered with in some way. And being open and honest about this, it will actually help more people. Being honest about how many people are suffering with chronic illness or mental health or as I say, developmental issues. So the final thing is I think the vast majority of society is struggling because as Nietzsche said, we needed to find a new religion because we didn't believe in the old. We weren't supposed to throw out the baby with the bathwater and that's what we're doing in every situation, black and white. You need to find something that is beneficial, that is real and honest and true. Otherwise, you have nothing. That old cliche, you got to believe in something or you're nothing. Right? Oh, geez. It's so, it's, I've become so extreme, it seems. But I can't not talk about this because this is what's kept me alive. Right? I didn't disbelieve in the inherent goodness of humanity. I just had to readjust what I believed and what I understood. Not everyone is inherently good. In fact, Jung was right. We have within us a darkness, all of us. And until you admit you have within you to be the worst possible version of not just yourself, but of anything, how can you control that darkness? Right? If you're willing to take a life, a human life, 
but you won't eat meat because that's cruel. That's denaturing you. That's not benefiting anyone or anything. Right? If you are an educator and you don't realize that a big portion of your students are having a hard time learning and you do nothing about it, or even society broadly, we're canceling anybody who's a believer when, as I said to the wife, we need these people who believe. There's far too many people like me who just are in the middle and we're not a believer, but I understand the need and the benefit of belief. But that means we need these, these people who are more than, these people who are willing to arguably make fools of themselves on both ends. Because the true believers get people to question, as do these extreme toxic atheists. Right? Not just the hypocrites like Sam Harris, who argue spiritualism is an atheist term. He's just, just not willing to admit that he's a believer in atheist clothing. Because there's, there's so few in the broader population, it seems, that are willing to admit what, uh, what I admit and what many uh, other people who study this silly stuff admit that truly the only stance we can have is we can't really know. And, and arguably many religions will say, not only can you not know, it is uh, blasphemous to try to think about it even, try to imagine uh, the divine because idolatry in a sense, right? Uh, uh, I digress. But anyways, we'll leave it at that. Who knows if it's even fit for consumption, am I right?